So uh, I have gotten into my fair share of discussions regarding nutrition as a coach and a, and a simple observer. Uh, I could see that certain fads were not were just not healthy in the long term. Uh, I couldn't explain it, but uh, from a data standpoint, but from my intuition, I I have always kind of understood that extremes in either way, one way or the other, is not healthy and it's not probably not sustainable long term. Um, you know, like I said, I know how to write workouts and place them in the right place of a training plan, but I don't necessarily know um, the ins and outs of specific nutrition. Those are th these things I've been working on for a long time, but now I've actually you know gotten serious about it. Um, and I could tell you, I could say that for my athletes, most of them know how to string consecutive days together. They know how to string consistency together. What you know, they might not know what workouts to place where. But they know that they've got to be consistent, you know, and it's it's same type of thing. Um, and so me getting this coach, this nutrition coach certification does definitely doesn't make me a dietitian, but it certainly makes me more equipped. And and that's what I want to what I want to be. Um, so now the question becomes, where do we start? And you know, I don't really want to get into major physiological discussions because one, we've already got those in the resources of the libraries of Final Surge. Um, you can go in and look at performance nutrition, you can look at basic nutrition, you can look at the physiology of marathon training, and that goes into a lot of the nutrition primers that we would want to cover anyway. If you know, if you know some of that physiology stuff, you're going to definitely, the, the nutrition stuff's going to make more sense. It's going to be a simpler transition into it, but um, this is definitely the, one of the building blocks into that physiology as well. If you know the if you know the ins and outs of metabolism, then you're going to understand the physiology a lot more too. So they kind of go uh, hand in hand. Um, so I don't want to get into those discussions now because one, we have those, and two, we, I think there's avenues we can go um, further down the road. But I do think it's incredibly important to understand the role of macronutrients, which would be fat, carbs, and protein in the body and how we utilize um, them for fuel or for or for exercise. So um so let's just jump into that. The role of macronutrients, carbs, which are you go by CHOs, people say glucose, glycogen. Glucose and glycogen are really different forms of carbohydrates, but um, in essence, you can use those fairly interchangeably. But carbohydrates are the subject to a lot of scrutiny these days. Uh, they're blamed for making people fat and unhealthy. And the truth of the matter is that fat will make you fat and unhealthy, and protein can make you fat and unhealthy, right? So people say, oh, I'm cutting carbs to cut... To, because I don't I don't use them or I, they're making me fat. That's real, well anything you overeat is going to make you you're going to you're going to store it right. So um, so just keep that in mind as we as we further this conversation. Um, from a simple view, carbohydrates are readily available. They're a primary source of energy in the body. Your brain prefers carbohydrates, but also helps maintain body temperature, internal organ function. Um, utilizing carbohydrate as a fuel also indirectly helps you preserve and build muscle mass because you're not you're not forcing your body to break down tissues to provide that energy and your body likes carbs and needs carbs to support a healthy body and exercise it's the type type of carbs the volume of carbs and the timing of carbs um, they get people hung up and that's really where kind of they get stuck on the carbs are bad idea but it's really more about what uh, what those things involve. So there's some there's also some individuality based on your body type, and that's that's going to be another time. But I think that's important. That's some of the things I've you know recently came across is you know just because you're an endurance athlete doesn't mean you need 
you know, 70% diet of carbohydrates. Although, you know, there's a lot of back and forth on that too. So, um, I'm just going to see, I'm still worried that you guys can't hear me. So I'm just checking to see if anybody's writing out anything. Okay. All right. So I think you guys, so, um, so how, how carbohydrate is utilized and metabolized in the body. Uh, glycogenesis, which is taking glucose, so, so you eat carbohydrates, it gets digested, it becomes glucose, um, and it gets, glycogenesis is storing that glucose in the muscle as glycogen or in the liver as glycogen. Glycogenolysis, which is taking stored glycogen, either in the liver or the muscle, and converting it to glucose where it's going to be utilized as fuel. Glycolysis is taking, and you probably heard of glycolysis if you've seen anything on physiology, the process of glycolysis to produce energy. Um, taking glucose and turning it into pyruvate, which you've probably, many of you have heard, you know, and then from there pyruvate can be recycled back into um, what can be formed as uh, acetyl-CoA or whatever to go back into the Krebs cycle, things like that. Or it can go to lactic acid if that other system is backed up. Um, Krebs cycle, an electron transport chain, which produces acetyl-coenzyme A, and that takes that and make, turns that into ATP, carbon dioxide, and water, and that's where we get vast majority of our um, running energy from. And then the fifth one is the gluconeogenesis. So if you follow the terminology there, glucose, a glucose neo, which would be new, and genesis formation, so formation of new glucose, turns carbohydrate sources, um, non-carbohydrate sources into glucose. Uh, and this can be pyruvate from glycolysis, which we talked about, lactate from glycolysis, which we talked about, most amino acids, and also glycerol from triglycerides. So the, all, all four of those things can be essentially turned into uh, glucose, which then will be utilized as energy. So um, are carbs bad? No, no, absolutely not. We talked about it. as long as we're eating the right volume and the right kinds, um, that depends on what we're doing. And what we're de doing depends on um, the, util the, the amount of, of carbohydrate that we actually need. Um, but so for now, let's just look at the type. And the big thing is is fructose, or as we tend to see it, which is high fructose corn syrup, so the, the, the devil there, you, we get a lot of that. Um, and it's certainly true that if we overeat this stuff, then you set yourself up for a whole host of potential problems. So current research is suggesting that that is anything over 50 grams of fructose a day is that threshold for potentially developing, you know, things like diabetes, heart disease, things like that, and, you know, a whole host of um, weight-related issues as well. The big however there, though, is that sources like fruit do not contribute to that 50 grams. Those, that's a completely separate measure because of the water, fiber, and vitamin content that you're getting in that. So you have to make sure that. So we're talking about processed foods, right? That's, that's where that 50 grams is essentially coming from, is processed carbohydrate. Another stat is in America, we are, we're an obese country, you know, and I, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, my, my wife is a, a small woman, you know, she's a hundred pounds, 105 pounds, maybe. Um, and she wears, you know, we go into Athleta or Lululemon or wherever, and it is amazing. Like, um, you, you, you like, you know, you might've been like, you've gotten pants and you get a real, your regular size. You're like, a two or a four or a six or eight and all of a sudden now you go into these places and you're like a zero do you have like a negative two it's two like they just expand sizes to make you feel better about how you how your size and I noticed this with guys too like I went and I was trying to find a pair of shorts the other day 
and I like I'm a 30 inch waist, and especially right now, like I'm not I'm coming off a marathon segment. I've you know I've kind of you know I'm not I'm not necessarily at race weight right now, and um, and I'm like I'm a 30 inch waist. Like I got these shorts that are 29, and they're gonna like I need a belt. You know, it's like it's amazing how we do this. So it's just it's just our how how we treat it as a country. It's just amazing to me. But um, so we're obese. We're an obese country. We're a big country, and like and we we. Like there's no sugar coating that we're probably one of the biggest countries in the world, you know, um, and it's just there's a whole host of reasons why that we don't need to get into now. But uh, um, but we're inactive and we eat. We're under a ton of stress and we eat a lot of junk. And, you know, over 20 percent of the average American caloric intake is from sweeteners, 20 percent of our diet. So if you're eating a 2000 calorie diet, 400 calories of your daily diet is coming from sweeteners. That's a lot of crap that, that provides absolutely no nutritional value to your diet. So what does that 50 grams look like in real life? So a 32-ounce soda, 50 grams. 32-ounce sports drink, 50 grams. One bag of Skittles, 24 grams. Honey Nut Cheerios and orange juice, 45 grams of sugar. Uh, a grande frat from, from Starbucks, 39 grams. Gas station protein bar, 25 grams. of, And that's something you would buy to think that you're getting a healthy alternative, right? And it's just... 25 grams of crap, right? So um, it's easy. It's easy to see where, where all this is coming from um, and how hard it is to get away from that. So um, that, those contribute a lot to our daily diet. And so the main thing is those are the things. When people talk about cutting carbs, those are the things we really, really have to focus on on cutting. Those are the things that provide no value. They're going to provide dangerous uh, danger to our health. They're not going to really aid in performance. Um, and the thing with like high fructose corn syrup is it's engineered to make you want more, right? Like they're not stupid, right? They're good at business. They want you to taste that and want more. And that's why everybody puts it in everything they make. You know, it's very hard not to find it in, in something. And so that's, that's a major downfall. Um, and it makes it very, very hard to get from. So as far as actual carb intake, um, when you look at it from, you know, how much we need as an average person to you know, look at those as based on a standard deviation. Both 68% of the American population falls within uh, one standard deviation of the normal carbohydrate intake. And then 18% are well above and 18% are well below. So vast majority of people, right amount, you know, like very close to what the averages indicate. And then you have a small amount of people. And that would be like a true ectomorph person who's tall and skinny and built for endurance athlete that is a professional athlete that's training 20, 30 hours a week. Those are the people who are those, those excessive amounts of carbohydrates, you know? Um, and then you have the true endomorphs on the other end who don't exercise and don't do anything really of daily activity that really don't need much of anything as terms of uh, carbohydrate goes. Um, so that's really where I want to start with that. So that, you know, that, with the carbohydrate so we need it it's it's important but it's it's again it's like once you get out of that if you can get out of that area of i'm cutting all carbs and just say i'm focusing on whole foods as far as fruits and vegetables and and, and quality complex carbohydrates where you're going to get those resources from you're going to be so much better off um fat is also a nutrient that gets a lot of bad reps so you basically have the two two ends of the spectrum you have the people who are like oh i'm all carbs and the other people i'm all you know I'm all keto, um, so, um, but fat is a crucial for plasma membranes. It's it's crucial for hormone development of hormones. It's incru it's important for transport of nutrients, and of course, 
we use it as a fuel. And so there are a number of mechanisms that fat is metabolized in the body. So fat transport through a process called lipogenesis, which is mostly free fatty acids that are circulating in your bloodstream. Um, and, and that's the formation of, of light, lipid um, molecules. Fat mobilization lipolysis, which would be the breakdown of, of fat molecules. Um, breakdown of triglycerides into fatty acids and glycerol, and then we produce um, usable energy from that. Um, fatty acid synthesis, which is a system of enzymes that synthesizes fatty acids, so not much there. Beta oxidation, which breaks down fatty acids into acetyl-CoA. Remember that molecule we've talked about? Um, it's efficient. However, it's very slow and it requires oxygen. So there's a key thing when you're thinking about exercise, why, why we can't necessarily rely on fat is that, that energy source. Um, and then the fifth one you have is ketone formation. So when carbohydrate intake is low, the liver can make ketones as a glucose substitute, substitute to keep brain, muscles, and blood cells healthy. Because remember, those are all things that the brain wants carbohydrate for. It wants to use carbohydrate. But if it can't, it's not there then it's going to utilize the fat that we have stored in our body. So it's like, it's our body's very good at, you know, making use of what we got, right? Um, and then the sixth one is cholesterol synthesis and catabolism, which is breaking, um, you know, basically making cholesterol and breaking down cholesterol. So a fun fact there is we produce actually most of the cholesterol in our body. It's not necessarily the food we eat. It can definitely contribute to that, but we actually produce a ton of the cholesterol that's already in our body because it's a needed resource. So, um, so we'll get, that's another. That's a, that was, that's for my cardiac rehab patients. Uh, I think most people. I think most people understand most of these. Um, when we exercise at a low to moderate intensity, move around, walk down the hall, take steps, etc. The fat is a great fuel fuel source for those. Right. Um, however, the fifth fifth option, which is the ketone formation, is what gets people all riled up, um, especially these days. So with a view of carbohydrates being bad. Uh, it makes it easy to think that it's completely fine to substitute the carbohydrate intake with a higher fat intake because what I what did I just say? I said when carbohydrates low, the liver can make ketones to substitute it, right? So, but the flip side of that is the body doesn't want to do that. That's a that's a that's a backup mechanism. That's a backup mechanism to keep you alive, not a prime, not, not something to fuel your marathon. That's not necessarily what it's what they're talking about. Um, so. To me, the system is really viewed as a back. So that's viewed as a back of the body's preferred system we've talked about. The diet was really intended for the diet of the high fat diet was really intended for children with epilepsy. Um, permanent ketosis can lead to high blood lipids, can lead to lowered blood white cells, um, optic neuropathy, uh, lower bone density. Uh, children ultimately, when they're on these long term, developed uh, hydration problems, constipation, decreased bone mineral density. And kidney stones. So there's definitely a lot of trade-offs. Yeah, they, they definitely were better in their epilepsy, but there was a lot of a lot of trade-offs with that. So um, so you have to continue. Like, there's not you guys. There's not a lot of long-term uh, research on this, and so you really have to be careful. And you know, and there's obviously you know, and just because you utilize fat more doesn't mean it's going to help your performance too. So there's always that. Um, so part of the issue I see with ketogenic diets, and that, honestly, I would say the same thing for high carbohydrate high carbohydrate diets as well. It's the lack of continuity continuity of definition. So I see somewhere where it's a percentage of seventy to seventy five percent of fat for the diet, and then I see others where it's twenty to twenty five to fifty grams of carbohydrate per day. Um, so you have you're talking relative and in absolute terms. Um, and to me, this is particularly dangerous because the brain alone, 
needs 130 grams of glucose to function properly per day. So um, yes, you can do that, but ketosis is a dangerous thing to be in long term. Like that's not a good thing to be in. Um, you see a person who's in ketosis, you see a sick person. Um, you don't see a healthy person. They might be thin, but they're not healthy. Um, and that's really important to, to, to remember that long term. And I, again, I would say the same thing for high carbohydrate diet. If you're not in training, you know, there's no reason for you to be eating 70% your carb. Even if you are training, you probably don't need to be 70% carbohydrate every day. Um, and we'll, those are things that we can discuss further down, further down the road. Um, so from me looking at it from a logical standpoint, I wonder why, I personally wonder why I would load up on a source of energy that I already have an abundance of and then limit the source of fuel that I have a very limited stock of. That's, that's just a me speaking from my, my perspective on that. Um, and to be fair, I don't feel that a high-carb high diet is the way to go for all people either. Um, there's definitely, there's definitely got to be a balance in there. And I think it definitely depends on where you are at with training and all those other things. Um, and so I realize I'm going to get a lot of pushback. I always get a lot of pushback when I, when I talk about this. And that's fine because I know people have lost a lot of weight on, on what they've been doing with high-fat diets. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your performance is better. And that's what I'm speaking for in here is performance. I'm obviously worried. I'm worried about your health as well. And I just don't think long-term that it's healthy. And I think you look at people, you know, you read those horror stories of people just completely flaking out and then going all in on carbs. For, you know, it's like, they, you know, they, they binge on carbs and then they come back to the keto. It's not, it's just not... Any, any extreme diet is not necessarily sustainable, and it's not meant to be because what what you get from fat, you, you don't get in carbohydrates. So if you're not eating the carbohydrates that are healthy carbohydrates and fruits and vegetables, whole grains, things like that, you're not getting those vitamins and minerals from that, and you're only getting the ones that, you get, that are from the fat, unless you're taking all these other supplements. But part of the whole thing people talk about is, oh, I'm eating clean, so I'm gonna, I don't need to take supplements. But if you're only eating one food, you're not getting all the vitamins and minerals from all this other aspect that you're completely eliminating from your diet. And that just does not make, that does not make sense to me. And I can't, I can't fathom where the logic is on that. And, you know, other than people are seeing success losing weight that way. And so they, they believe in it and that's fine. That, and that's completely fine. But I just want you to see what the potential dangers are of that. So just leave that there. That was a little further than I wanted to get into on, on this one, but uh, we'll we'll I think we'll move into some further discussions on that later on. Um, lastly, protein is the final macronutri macronutrient that I want to discuss today. Um, like any other the other two, it's vital. It's vital for everyday health, um, and it's vital for running performance. And as long as it's consumed in the right manner and the right amounts, um, protein is crucial to giving our body strength and structure, which I know we're all well aware of. Make enzymes, hormones, helping our immune system and transportation. Those are the main uses of, pro of protein. The three main protein meta metabolic pathways are protein turnover, which involves synthesis, which is making protein, um, you know, from amino acids, things like that, and breaking down protein into amino acids. Um, then you have amino acid catabolism and deamination. <coughs> excuse me. And then you have transamination. And so, in terms of providing energy. We, we need to look at deamination, which is um, amino acids are broken down and the portion that remains is called a carbon skeleton. The carbon skeleton can then be converted into one of the following, glucose, ketone bodies, cholesterol, fatty acids, or a product needed for the Krebs cycle when um, they would ultimately be resynthesized into 
ATP. Um, so a lot of people are going to focus on that. Okay, I can make glucose from that. I can do this and that with it. Again, that's when carbohydrate is not available in your body. And so where is that protein going to be coming from? So if you have, um, if you're eating, all you're eating is a ton of protein and not much carbs and you're eating a bunch of fat, things like that, then you're ultimately going to, if you're overeating the, if you're overeating the fat, it's going to store as fat. If you're overeating the protein, it's going to end up storing more fat. You're not going to be able to, there's only so much the body can utilize and then excess gets either excreted out of the body or you store it. And, you, and when you store it, you store it as fat. So when you're breaking down protein, you're breaking down muscle mass. And so that's what we, like, you know, some people call it skinny fat, like, or, you know, fraternity or sorority fat where you see a skinny person, but they have like a beer belly. Same type of thing. Like they're thin and their overall weight is probably in a healthy range, but it's not, the composition of it isn't healthy, right? And that's what you and ultimately will get if you overeat any nutrient. Um, you know, if you don't have the ability to, to store your fuel that you've burnt, or you're, or you don't, or you don't have the ability to utilize what you want to utilize, it's going to start taking it away from other sources. And a lot of times with protein, it's breaking down that muscle mass. And that's the last thing we want to do, right? We want to preserve that muscle mass because that's what's going to make us stronger. It's going to make us more resilient to training. It's going to make us faster. It's going to give us more endurance. All those things, right? So that's that's the big thing there. And so these conversions are all seen as backups when we're under duress or starvation from fasting, and it isn't intended to be a primary source of energy. Anything I've looked at is basically like 2% of energy production comes from protein during a marathon, and that's usually when they're bonked out. You know, then they're breaking down protein to, to, provide, um, to provide fuel. Um, and from an endurance standpoint, how much do we optimally need to intake? Um, you know, different resources like American College of Sports Medicine, NASM, things like that. They have different ranges on their on the studies they've done. So the average sedentary person needs 0.8 grams of uh, protein per day per kilogram of body weight. So you can do the math on it. Take a take a pound um, or take a kilogram divided by um, or I'm sorry, Jesus, I told you I was tired. A pound times 2.2, and you got your kilograms, and then uh, you can divide that or times that by 0.8. So like 150 pound persons, like 78 kilo or 68 kilograms. So you could basically say you know 60 to 70 kilograms of protein or grams of protein a day. Um, that's for the average sedentary person. So for an athlete, you need anywhere from 1.2 to 2.2 per kilogram of body weight. So that comes out to much more. So that's um, and that that's obviously a big range there. 1.2 to 2.2. That that could ultimately be a swing of you know, 70, 70 grams of protein there, right? So um, endurance athletes would probably fall in the middle there somewhere, probably in the, probably in the uh, 1.5 to 1.8 range. Um, so, you know, you're looking at, you know, 125 to 150 grams of protein for a 150-pound person, whatever, you know, you know, more than that, more than likely. Um, yeah, almost 200 grams. So it's a lot of protein, right? And so that's the way... When you get into these future discussions, that's how you can look. You can you can use percentages. You can use absolute numbers. Um, I'm sure there's some carbohydrate numbers floating around there, grams per um, body weight. I think I actually have them in my book, uh, but I'd have to look them up. I don't know the specifics on them, but so there's a couple ways you can do it. You know, and we talk about that later. But uh, I think the max rate for digestion on protein is something like 3.6 kilograms or grams per kilogram of body weight. So that's a lot. Um, you won't digest it uh, at all, and you'll probably just excrete it out. 
This increase, with the increase I'm talking, so I'm talking the 1.5 to 1.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. Um, that's not necessarily for fuel, but that rather that's to rebuild, repair, muscle damage, um, things like that. So um, that's where that's coming, you know, again, uh, transportation, uh, hormones, all those things are, a lot of those things end up being proteins, fats, and, you know, those, they'll contribute to those. So you can't uh, neglect those, in, but on the other hand, you don't want to eat too much. Um, but that's mostly, it's not for fuel. It's mostly to rebuild and repair the muscle damage that we've done with training. Because think about what you're doing with training. You're building down that muscle. And we talk about this all the time. It's not necessarily the hard work that you've done. The hard work definitely sets you up, but it's the recovery that follows that hard work um, that's going to be that's what's going to make you a better runner, right? Because if you work out hard, but then you have to space out your next workout five days because you can't recover, then you're not going to ultimately, you're going to be doing less than less work than somebody who can do a workout every two days or every three days or, you know, something like that. They can do three workouts a week when you can do one to two workouts a week. That's ultimately where that difference is going to come from. So recovery is what propels the adaptation to the hard work that you've done. And that all stems from hydration and nutrition recovery. It's not, it's so simple, guy. Like it's such a simple com- concept, but it's, it's, all, it's, it is very hard to put in place. And I know this from personal experience, you know, like you, it's so easy to say, well, if I'm just going to run 10 miles every day, I'm going to get pretty fit. You will, but you can make it so much better if you were just dialed in on the nutrition. So, all right. So at the end of the day, uh, if we eat too much excess dietary fat, it gets stored as fat directly. There's no conversion needed. It's just going to get stored. If we eat too much carbohydrate, we increase our carbohydrate oxidation. So Basically, if we start eating carbohydrate and it's super readily available and it's always coming into us as a fuel source, our body's going to say, hey, carbohydrate's here. We don't need to worry about fat. We don't need to worry about using that right now because we have this steady stream of carbohydrate coming in. And it's, it's a vicious cycle because that's when people get addicted to the sweeteners and stuff too because they're, they're eating it, their body uses it, now their body needs it because it's, it's switched gears and it's going to use that as the primary fuel source. So then you eat more carbohydrates. So ultimately, if you are in that position, and I trust me, I've seen, like, if you've read the book and you've seen the charts I've seen with the metabolic efficiency with the one athlete who is a pretty clean eater and there was a traditional overlap of fat use came down, carbohydrate use went up as exercise increased, you know, that was a real person that I tested with a metabolic cart. Uh, the other person who was straight across and actually used more, you know, just used carbohydrates the whole way across, that was a person that we're just talking about right now. That was a person who... I tested who traveled a lot on business and just ate crap all the time. And he knew it and he knew it. And it was a big problem. And it was a big thing we tried to work with was getting him to break that cycle to get him out of that kind of carbohydrate addiction so that he could focus on eating more and more balanced than what he was. Um, and uh, ultimately he, he, he struggled with that. And, you know, some of that was mindset. Some of that was probably me. I was very young in my coaching career. Um, so probably could have definitely handled that better, but, uh, um, you know, ultimately, you know, there was a big, that was, that was a big reason why he wasn't performing. I mean, his consistency was there. He could go out and run, but then it limited how hard he could run because you're already using a fuel source that you're supposed to use primarily as you run faster. And he was using it from step one, full throttle, you know, and it just made it very hard because you can't accept any more intensity because all the byproducts you get from that, the pyruvate, it gets, it doesn't go back to the, uh, acetyl-CoA as fast because it's, that system's blocked up because you're using so much carbohydrate right away, the system can't handle it. So that goes straight to lactic acid and you'd limit how far you can run. Cause once you get the lactic acid building, lactic acid itself isn't a necessarily 
the cause of fatigue, but it's everything that, that surrounds it is the cause of fatigue. And so when the lactic acid goes up, boom, we limit how hard we can work. And if we limit how hard we can work, we're ultimately going to limit how far we can run, how fast we can run. And so that was, that was a very big, very big thing. So it impairs fat oxidation and causes more dietary fat. So if you're eating, so say he's eating like 60, 70% carbs all the time, and he really only needs to be at like 50 to 55, where's that, where's the other part of those carbohydrates coming? He's still getting enough fat. He's still probably eating fat in his diet, but since he's using all carbs all the time to, as fuel, all that fat he's eating is just getting stored. And that's what happens when we overeat in the carbohydrate department. Um, that, that it just slows down the fat oxidation and increases the storage of it. And then you put on weight and it, then you can't, it makes it very, very hard to lose the weight. Um, finally, a, a excessive protein increases protein oxidation. So if you just eat protein, 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 same type of thing. Your body's like, hey, this is the fuel that's coming in. Let's make use of it. And then ultimately it shuts those other two processes down. We're not going to use fat. We're not going to use carbohydrate because we, we have the protein. And usually when you're eating so much protein, you're not eating very much of those other things anyway. So there are, your body thinks it is in starvation mode. So it's going to utilize what's available and the proteins available. So it's going to shut down the fat oxidation and result. You store any fat you're eating because it's just, it's grabbing it. It's grabbing, pulling in because it, it needs to say, it needs, to, it's trying to keep you alive essentially. Like, okay, we need to protect the organs. We need to make sure we have reserves. So it's going to take everything that you're taking in and store it and utilize the protein that you're eating the vast majority of your diet as. So that's where you get into trouble long-term guys. Um, all right, so when we encourage uh, engage in a certain diet, we ultimately gravitate towards a higher low carbohydrate diet. Um, a lot of old old school endurance athletes think you need to be 60% and above on carbohydrate intake on a daily basis, and I definitely you know I don't I don't necessarily believe that anymore. I've definitely been awakened, um, but I still think it's not ketogenic or anything like that. I think it's more just keeping things in balance. But um, we also tend to uh, uh, muddy the waters between what is okay for a sedentary person and what is okay for an active person, a person training for a marathon. Um, and either way, the strategy beyond eating an overall balanced diet is extended and you extend that for a long period of time, then you definitely increase the risk for any nutrient deficiencies and potential health issues. Like the vitamin and mineral issues can be a big, big problem. So, 